Hi everybody, thank you for listening, this is Gil. So the podcast is back, we're back. We have this episode out now and two more episodes in the works and they'll come out in the coming weeks. So in this episode we're traveling back in time, almost a hundred years to the then futuristic German science fiction trailblazing film Metropolis. It's a silent movie that's big, audacious, and extremely watchable. It's available on YouTube. I'll put a link in the episode description. And I recommend everybody check it out, or at least give it a try. I gave it one, and I enjoyed it all the way through. So today I have on my good friend Asi Oren from Tel Aviv. He's a filmmaker, a filmographer. Sorry about the chatter from the street. <laughs> and Asi knows his way around film history, including how the cultural and historical aspects are woven into the filmmaking. So Metropolis is again a German film from 1927, the golden age of German cinema between the First and the Second World Wars. And today, Metropolis might even be more relevant than it was when it was made because some of the main elements in the film have materialized in recent years. In our conversation, I connected it to the rise of artificial intelligence, but maybe a better comparison would be to social media and how it has manipulated and changed our societies. The first five minutes or so are about our respective experiences with regard to the war between Israel and Hamas. And then we dive into how Metropolis changed filmmaking forever, how it was made, who made it, and how it has become almost a prophetic movie. Enjoy. I love the smell of napalm in the morning. What would I do have? Hello, and welcome to As Depicted on Film. All right, but apart from the sanitation, the medicine, education, wine, public order, irrigation, road, the fresh water system of public health, what have the Romans ever done for us? Hi, Asi. Hi, Gid. How are you? That's not a not a, not okay, a good, that's not a good, good question. question to start with. <laughs> <laughs> not a that's, good that's question good. to start with. I just I just want to say that we have collaborated several times before, but this is the first time that we collaborate on the podcast. Yes, and I think it's uh, already I enjoy it more. <laughs> right, because nobody can see us. Yeah, exactly. Can, I can, uh, just cheer. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So uh, we wanted to do an episode about AI on film, like revisiting the, the, the topic that I, I did with uh, Rutger at the beginning of this podcast. And now that AI has de developed and evolved and now that it's more relevant in our lives and we can feel it, then I felt it was interesting to go back to, to movies and see how we see them now differently. So that was the plan. Yes, that was the plan. That was the plan. A lot of plans. <laughs> a lot of plans. 
Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then October 7 happened uh, in Israel and everything that happened ap- uh, after that. And a lot of things changed. And now we decided that we'll focus only on one of the movies that we want, that we want to talk about in this uh, episode, Metropolis mm-hmm. from 1927. It's an exceptional movie. We'll do the other films uh, later. Yes. But before we get uh, to the movies, to the movie, Uh, you are now Asi in Israel, Tel Aviv. Tel Aviv, yes. I'm in Barcelona, Spain. So we had and have very, very different experiences with relation to what's going on in Israel. I am not there. Yes. You spent two weeks outside of Israel and then you came back. Yes, uh, I was uh, about uh, two weeks in London and I came back about, around a week ago. We've been in London to kind of clear our heads and kind of get perspective about things that uh, that happened and uh, yes we're back now uh, in Israel and you're in Spain <laughs> <laughs> and what's the the perspective uh, that you got if you feel like sharing um, when you're in Israel I'm sure that you know it's very hard kind of think even about the things that happening and to tell you the truth for example I just started seeing you know firsthand kind of hearing of what happened and trying to build for myself a story about what happened it's it's very hard for to just grasp this date which was like an historical event that you're kind of living in and, and you can't kind of understand it as it's happening it's such a hard thing to grasp I and mean, to make it I uh, also work uh, you know that in a, mm. in this uh, News. newspaper and I'm trying to work on the story like depicting this just as information about what happened and how to kind of grasp this event and how to contextualize it if, if you will yeah I don't think we had such a different experience even though you were there and I was here just I think I I think the first few days might not have been that different because everybody consumed information through mm-hmm. social media and you know the computer if you wanted to right mm-hmm. but I think that after that the fact that everybody around you had the same experience mm. traumatic yes. experience while That's for me true. I went out the door and people were just chilling yes. You know. living their lives I think that was very very different and I feel that the more I am away from Israel the larger the gap becomes mm. between my experience and your experience and I feel that were I to go back tomorrow mm. it's a yeah. different country than it was before and you know yesterday I had a day trip in the mountains here So uh, I was with an Israeli, and we spoke about <laughs> about the same things that you speak about with your friends, right? Yes, but every, nobody around us uh, cared about anything, and we were in the mountains and you know had a picnic, so it's different, so it's similar, but it's different because the surroundings is, is different. I think that also this thing that you're describing, you even can feel this in Israel in a different way, maybe but this kind of uh, the gap between the tragic things that are happening and these historical events that are happening and this craziness 
and then you go outside and the world is keeps on living like uh, you go to the beach you can hear faintly bombing in Gaza mm. in Tel Aviv and it's 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 like it's surrealistic or the fact that you just you know you're with your kids and there's a um, bomb bomb you're going to the you know to the stairway shelter. and just stairway. no shelter I wish I had a shelter <laughs> you just go to the stairway say okay this will protect me right but uh, yeah. and you're with your kids and it's it's, it's just You can normalize these things. This is not a normal situation. We're living not in a normal time. But uh, the world keeps on spinning and the life keeps on going. And, and it's, it's a very strange thing to kind of grasp. And maybe to connect this to the film at hand, Metropolis, mm. you started out by saying that we are living... Uh, At a historical moment and it's very hard to contextualize it and to know exactly what's going on and what will be the story that will mm. be told about this or the stories obviously a gazillion yeah. stories half of them you know clashing with each other depending who's telling the story mm -hmm. and this is something very very interesting about the movie Metropolis from 1927 yes. almost a hundred years ago that when it was made, it was one thing and was viewed in one way. A decade later, it was viewed differently. Then later on, it became like ridiculed, uh, the movie, and uh, people dismissed it. But now, looking at it now, it seems, you know, prophetic and prescient and uber-relevant and incredible. And all of the things that it was, uh, you know, criticized for, For me, many of them are like irrelevant. I'm like, okay, okay. <laughs> But before we get there, I want you to just like tell us why this movie is important, you know, in the history of filmmaking and what it means. I can't, you know, underestimate the, the impact that this movie made on film history. Anyone that knows film history you know it's, it's not it's it's a given almost it's kind of a, a mm. fact that this is one of the seminal films in all of uh, film history and of course sci-fi uh, specifically it was received very poorly when it got uh, out and it was a big flop that actually got the production company to the ground and they had to be ah. bought Uh, ah, I didn't know that. Okay. You didn't know, but right wing, uh, by, by the right wing businessman, which we know what uh, that means uh, in Germany of 19. Uh, so it was a big flop in terms of commercially. And also at that time, people dismissed it as naive, which I think is a, we'll talk about it, but a fair yeah, kind of criticism. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, we'll talk about that. But uh, let's put it in context. It's one of the first full lengths sci-fi films okay mm. so we're talking about a film that actually very very full length I might say <laughs> half hours uh. you're seeing the full version remember that yeah. uh, what came out was a shorter shorter yeah. version than this um, uh, so everything that it's doing there is first time and then made uh, you know made into a trope so everything that we Caesar in terms of what We then see in science fiction, we can even talk about things like the mad scientist, right? Uh, it, it's such a trope in film. Yeah. This is the beginning of it. This is, you're this seeing is the beginning? Uh, this is the first crazy scientist, you know, and you what see... What about Dr. Frankenstein? 
that that came later first of all let's talk film not let's talk uh, right the movie came later yeah the movie came later, the movie okay. came later so I'm talking about if in film history yeah it's very it's it uses a lot of uh, you know things from uh, literature from the romantics uh, Shelley yeah. you're talking about Frankenstein it's using this drop but this is the first time that we get a, a filmic version of this thing mm-hmm. and of course you can see this mad scientist if we're talking about this and we're seeing the bad scientist uh, you see the hand he has a robotic hand yeah so that This robotic a hand. Cra- yeah. A crazy uh, white hair also. <laughs> yeah. You, so it goes in, we see it in films so many times, you know, you see it in Dr. Strangelove, which is a homage specifically mm. to this. Uh, mm. And we can talk about a lot of things, but also like the architecture, of course, the Art Nouveau architecture and how we saw like uh, the city with the upper class in the high towers and the uh, people in the bottom. This is, of course... Blade Runner and uh, you can talk about even you know Batman Gotham you, could, you couldn't have Gotham without this film all right uh, yeah it's very dark it's very like exactly. ominous that's true and I think that uh, it's uh, it's a dystopia right it's, a dystopia. it's the epiphasy of dystopia that then everyone took mm. as like as okay a as a reference yeah so every time you have a dystopia in film, It, it comes from there um, mm. so that is of course it's big stamp on film and it's very interesting that that people that criticize it at the time that you talk they talked about the, the naivety of it but it's it's very strange because that's the complexity the complexity of this film because yeah. it's a dystopia with a naive happy ending right you know so I like we can get into it more later I will just like yeah. put it out there it's a dystopia And at the same time, it's a fairy tale. Yeah. Like a legend yeah. with like beautiful heroes. And they want to do good. And it's very biblical. And it's, so it's, it's both a dystopia and uh, like a children's fairy tale with a childlike view of the world. It's an amazing combination. But think about the political combination. It's in one time, it talks about, you know... Uh, <laughs> that it was criticized it's all by, over the place it's all over the place it was criticized or banned by the fascists because it was seemingly bolshevik but then again they the left wing they saw the depiction of the people as naive and gullible as a so both of the sides of the yeah you know and it was it's funny because it was trying to tell this naive story about we need to be to work together you know to work together yeah, yeah and, and of course it, it made people like <laughs> <laughs> okay so <laughs> so, okay, so uh, now so now we can get into <laughs> into the context of yes. when the uh, the movie was made so it was made where it was made in 1927 Germany yeah you you have more to talk yeah so that's before World War II that's before the Nazis take over the Nazis exist But they're not a big deal right now. They're on the fringes. In, I think in 1930s they came to power, right? That's yeah, in 1933. That's like when they get into power. There mm. was the, the, before that, uh, they tried the putsch. So they're there. Mm-hmm. But basically you have communists, you have liberals, you have nationalists and fascists in the Weimar Republic of the 1920s uh, Germany. And everybody's at, at each other's throat. A lot of uh, political violence. This movie like, attempts to thread the needle between all of these. 
and somehow connect them into you know an aspiration of view for how we need to move together without really changing <laughs> changing the basic <laughs> problems that the movie presents which yeah. is the class differences let's just shake hands <laughs> yes I think we should first tell the plot of this, the film or uh, no you want okay. to try it you want to try it because it's a, it's a hard thing to do I can do it I can do it, can do it. Let, can let's do see it. Okay. okay here you go okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so just uh, first of all like to visualize it for the people who haven't watched it which I assume is uh, most people me included until a few days ago it's like half film and half theater play so it's like very big like a big set and people are moving this way and that way all these movements and you have the rulers who live on the upper side <laughs> above ground in tall buildings and they make executive decisions and they enjoy the world they have no no care in the world they're like in a garden of Eden upstairs and And downstairs, below the, below the ground, you have the workers super depressed, walking depressed. So these class differences create tensions and problems. And the workers follow this uh, woman, Maria. Maria, a lot of Christian overtones here. They follow her and she predicts the arrival of a mediator, the son of God, I'm adding, the son of the God of the world. That's true. Okay. And she predicts that he will help uh, the workers and the elite uh, work together. But the God of the world, the father of this uh, mediator, the man who runs his business, he wants to sow discord within the working people. And he creates a machine that looks like the Maria, the Maria that they are following, so that she would make the, the workers rise up in violence, mm-hmm. not in peace, so he can clamp down on them. He wants them to be violent, yes. so then he can you know, enact fascist rule. And this machine that he built, this is before computers. You pointed that out to me. Yeah. It's like a machine AI before computers in 1927 it's not that's ai that's not i'm not i wouldn't call it ai it's not intelligent that's very important to to put out because they uh, it's, it's as much ai as chat gpt no i don't think that in their view no? like in fritz's lang view i don't think he doesn't envision ai yet i think that uh, maria's okay, robot so, so go back so go back okay. because the people don't know who is the fritz lang so this is the, the plot basically this is the plot i can i can tell yeah, you yeah you did where, a great where. job good job <laughs> <laughs> okay so this is the plot so what would you like to what do you think is, is like most important uh, in this movie in terms let's start with the machine man No, okay, talking about the machine man that is represented, that, like you said, this is before computers for the idea of uh, intelligent machines. I think that people in the 1927s, when they talk about machines, they're seeing the big uh, machines in the factories that, you know, make men yeah. into yeah. kind of like uh, just doing the same thing over and over yeah. again. Cogs. cogs in the machine and they're, they're thinking about these big you know engines that are a new thing going and doing stuff yes. this is the machine that they're talking about and they're doing a machine man I think it's more of a reference to you talked about Frankenstein and even it's in these ideas of 
how we perceive the machine and how a human perceives then the machine as something that can undermine them like uh, in terms of like yeah. takes a job uh, or takes their future they see this future is not something that is uh, their happiness they, yeah and this is yeah. very very similar to our days yeah it takes their happiness I think if you want to understand this you can look at other films that uh, talk about this so you look at uh, Charlie Chaplin's Modern Times right yes definitely that's the this is the idea but the difference okay, remind the people what is the, that movie and then this is like the comedy version of, yeah the of comedy version yeah again it's it shows the dystopia of where men are kind of turned into cogs and doing like the same thing and the And, and they're turning to kind of you turn into a machine yourself this is right. like the the scary part of the industrial age right our humanism will be taken away from us because we're turning into this cog in a machine yeah for me the interesting part in this movie looking back at it now and seeing it again because I saw it several times but for this uh, podcast I saw it again and I, it's just unbelievable the way that this robot and again robot was only invent the word robot was in only invented a, a few years before this uh, movie um mm. but the way uh this machine man that's how it's called in the translation uh, which is very interesting machine man the way this robot is used by the mm. by the elite politically like you 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 talked about it and it's this is for me you're looking at it now it's just unbelievable and The way that a political figure will use a human-like entity uh, to kind of create chaos in terms of the wow. so he can rule the 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 people it's just these wow. days you you just think about it and you say wow that's 1927 it's it is unbelievable um but I said it's not AI because I think that for them this robot machine this Maria robot, Is doing what the humans tell her to do they don't have the concept that this machine will somehow be conscious and do things for uh. itself so that's why I'm saying and this this fear of this conscious machines will come much later we'll see it in movies that we wanted to talk about for example uh. so for if I think that in this movie the machine is doing the will of the creator the will of the man and there's no understanding yet of that machine being able to being uh, capable of doing actions without the man right so 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 there is a conflict within the movie as to who controls the machine the mad scientist or the leader of the city whatever yeah, Joe, no. which is very much Yahweh like God like yo yeah. yes very Yahweh very God Yahweh like Yehovah One of the problems with the film, not the problem, it's not a problem, but one of the things that people talked about is that it's hard to follow the plot. It's hard to follow the, the characters. So one of the things that the, the relationship between the mad scientist and this architect of the city, let's call him, is very unexplained. There's some yeah. plot holes inside it. Uh, yeah. scene. There's like a backstory, unexplained backstory about... Um, the architect's former wife and what... Which the, is the mother of the, of the, of the protagonist. Yeah. Yes. of the protagonist and, and her relationship with the mad scientist. scientist. Some yeah. things are not really, yeah. Yes. Just like skip quickly and you're like, oh, <laughs> okay, whatever. <laughs> yes. But uh, the way, as I said again, the way that they use this uh, machine 
you talked about something that foresees the future. I think this is the main thing that is like unbelievable to see today. Again, because I'm seeing that, you know, how technology is used by people in power to kind of control the masses. And this is very, very... Yeah, by creating conflict. You're right. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Right-wing conflict. And actually now they're using these machines that look like human and act like human. So not look, but act and behave like humans to kind of control this. So, so this is like bots. Let's just say it. Yeah, let's say like, <laughs> like, tw- like Twitter bots. Exactly. For example. Or Twitter or whatever. Bots, WhatsApp, whatever it is. Whatever yeah. social media. Yeah. Yes. And again, putting this uh, film into context. So if I want to see more things that are thematical that have stayed was with us in film so we're talking about this idea of this messiah right that comes and kind of makes a new order in the world this is very prominent in this film and then we see it you know in many other films uh, including i don't know we want to come to matrix, matrix. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but i would also say dune like uh, this idea of this prophet that comes and kind of mitigates this and makes the new order a new system of uh, governing or whatever Okay. This is, uh, yeah, and Jesus. this was this is Jesus, this Jesus. and this <laughs> was also. Jesus. And talking about the criticism, it's very interesting that, uh, for example, one of the main critics was Wells, uh, the author, of, yeah, Orson uh, Wells. I read that he didn't yes, like it, <laughs> didn't like it. And it's interesting because his criticism was because of this naive kind of resolution, right? This, uh, a naive kind of idea of the heart and putting together the hand and the mind the brain right the, yeah th- that's how the movie begins the between the brain and the hands you have you must have heart the heart mediates between the brain and the hands and the brain yeah. that's the ruler the ruling class and the hands that's the working class and yes. the heart is the sun of the ruler <laughs> Yeah, and <laughs> not a working person, but he worked for a few days, so he knows uh, how hard it is. He's so yeah. proud of himself after working one shift. He's like, "Wow!" He's okay. like going, "Like wow, I'm, I'm doing it." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's coming underground. I just say it. He's coming underground to where the people work and yeah. and actually make the you know work in these machines. And it comes to this person and he says, "Okay, let's." Let's switch, switch places. Uh, let's switch places for yeah, and I'll I'll do the work, and you go up there. That's also a recurring uh, concept later on. The rich and the poor, uh, and before that also actually, the rich and the poor uh, trade places between them. For me, when I saw this scene, I thought actually about the scene from uh, Monty Python's uh, "The Life of Brian," I think. Right where he's on the cross, oh, <laughs> going with the cross, and then this guy comes to him and says, let me take your cross for you. And he says, for a moment, so you can rest. And then he takes the cross <laughs> and he runs away. <laughs> <laughs> and the Romans come and say, no, no, you go. No, 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 you go. You have to go now. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I said about I was thinking of uh, Atlas because also the the, uh, round, yeah, the clock, yeah. right? Like it comes to hold uh, the world. Yeah, but also this was like deceiving, right? It, it is deceiving him that he will just hold it for a moment and then he runs away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in, this happened to Atlas, right? In the in the yeah. mythological story, somebody exactly. I don't know who who held it before. Somebody else held it before. <laughs> <laughs> so Monty Python—that's the comedy version of that. <laughs> 
<laughs> yes, exactly. So this was uh, when we talked about AI. This was for me, we talked about several films, but this was the beginning. You know, it's like the first kind of concept of, a, of AI. And again, I'm saying it's not AI. It's more of like how humans perceive machines. And this changes as we, you know, as machines change, as we change this, this perception and this kind of how uh, the dialogue between man and machine, of course, changes with it very much. So, so let's talk about how this plays out in the movie. Okay, first of all, if we're talking about uh, the visuals in this movie, the way uh, it was visualized, it's using special effects, which is not... Uh, wow. For Zen, it was like truly spectacular. And also the sets, like the, the just the size of this production uh, wow. is unbelievable. As I said before, it, it, got, it got the production company bankrupt. <laughs> and uh, so, <laughs> yeah... <laughs> But uh, talking about specifically this kind of scenes where uh, where they're making the uh, Maria image robot, it's an iconic image, uh, how they made the robot and how they made this kind of electrical uh, mm. uh, instruments on yeah. film and this depiction. They're using a lot of uh, mirrors and using a lot of uh, uh. forced perspective. For me... The most striking images actually are, uh, for example, in the they have a whole scene about uh, Babylon. Maybe we'll talk about it later. Mm -hmm. You remember that scene? So how did they pick, for example, these hordes of people coming and building the the uh, the Babylon Tower? It's just amazing using like uh, multi times exposing the film so they can have different kind of elements mm -hmm. and integrated together it's really unbelievable the idea of like how you see this robot uh, changing and these rings of light that you talk about so it's used a lot in sci-fi films it's right like, like uh, rings the rings of light right yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like uh, star trek stuff yes it's star trek of course and even the robot itself it's like three cpo you know wow yeah <laughs> exactly 101 just in woman yeah. form um so yeah, the, in terms of visual, it's just unbelievable. The, uh, these images of the city with, where you can see the cars and the planes in the sky and the neon lights. Play Donner's visual owes a lot to that. And it's beautiful to see, for me as a filmmaker, not only the visual, because that is something very, uh, you know, obvious. But also, you're looking at the film from 1927 and you see how the filmic grammar, like how is used to the fullest like there's nothing there uh, nothing now that that already hasn't been there i'm talking about mm. uh, the way it was shot like you see dolly shots you see the equivalent of shoulder shots in terms of like uh, the camera was much too large to put on the shoulder but they're moving the camera so you can mm. feel this uncomfortness and they're using light the way that i don't think <laughs> We, we we envy today the, the uh -huh. use of the, the light and shadows there. Of course, he, uh, Fritz Lang was known as the the master of shadows. I think I don't. He has mm -hmm. a specific name. I don't remember the. But the way they're using lights and shadows, and uh, the way they're using editing, cross cutting between right and right and, and a lot visions. Of when, yeah. yeah, and a lot of visions like like you putting like a yeah. kind of like 
hallucinations as a yeah, single, yeah, almost yeah. As, effects as, as, that we now know yeah. as like meaning hallucinations like you you see something but you're not sure if you're seeing it exactly, and there. Yeah. That's and it's beautiful to see because, and yeah. you get it immediately. Like there's nothing it's, there it's, that you're like, you know. It's just a, a little bit too long the full ver- the full version. Mm-hmm. But you can skip, you know, five ten seconds here or there. It's not a problem. Like just like you know, if like somebody's running, they could run for a minute, <laughs> and they don't have to be <laughs> running for a minute. But the, but the movie holds. The movie holds. It's unbelievable. Nineteen twenty-seven. Because I was coming into it saying I'll I'll watch a little bit and I'll get a sense of it and then just I watch it the whole evening. Mm. Now I want to start, I want to hear your take about the biblical aspects of it and I also have something to say about myself. So so uh, so before the biblical aspects, your last point about the, some of the visuals. Okay, mm. there, so the visual of the robot, the robot uh, Maria. Okay, mm-hmm. the bot that then incites the people. The way that she speaks to the people, her hand gestures, mannerism, very exaggerated in this German movie with all these German uh, people around them uh, you know, reacting in uh, ecstasy. Yeah. I don't know. There's not a lot of uh, <laughs> things that you can think about when you see that as she's calling for war. Mm-hmm. She's calling for revolution. Yeah, so for revolution. Why, 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 why? That's like super Hitlerian. Super Hitlerian when she, like, as a robot. Right? It can't mm. be like the robot. It can't really be like communist, communist, because then it would call for like a solidarity between the vast majority of the people. Right? Yes. And some... Uh, And like social justice here it 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 has to be uh fascistic <laughs> because mm. it is meant to eat away at society from within right it's meant to erode society and your belief in what you see and what you hear and trust no is that yeah. this is completely twenty first century fake news campaign mm. yes fascist uh, kind of visuals and fascist kind of ideology is rampant in this film in terms of the ruling class, right? How they're depicted, the gardens and the uh, uh, high towers that you're talking about. If you look at, you know, fascist propaganda films and Lenny Riftichens and whatever in the, uh, when the Nazis came to power, they have a lot of uh, influence from it, uh, showing like these great towers, this great kind of strengths That's for sure. And now I can, if you want me to talk about now, I will definitely put it in context politically. So it's very important to say that uh, if we talk about Fritz Lang for a second and put in Fritz context. Lang, yeah. yeah, Fritz Lang, the director. The director. Yeah, so Fritz Lang, he's from Vienna, actually. He was in the World War I and got injured. He famously mm. lost uh, uh, the sight in one eye, so he's using... Uh, Uh, monocle and then he came into uh, Berlin to work in cinema uh, first writing scripts and then as director this is like the heyday of German cinema right and this is the heyday yeah the, the 20s is, is just full of great directors and great visions and it's in the middle of the expressionist uh, German filmmaking we actually talked about it in one of our uh, yeah, videos yeah, yeah. Uh, but the films like uh, Nosferatu from Orno unbelievable films coming from uh, Germany in that time 
And he is very fast. He puts himself in the center of this uh, movement and being one of the great directors of that movement. And what's that movie? Like a, a few words about expressionism. Expressionism wants to externalize uh, the feelings and the internal kind of uh, things in our uh, minds and put it outside, uh, externalize it in visual aspects. So, so it's very big and exaggerated. Yes, it's exaggerated and it's, uh, and it's expressive in a way that it, it, the visuals speak to you and, uh, in terms of an, an emotion. You don't look for reality, you look for exaggerating the aspects that you want to get this uh, effect on the audience. Yes, yeah, so it requires and it gets a suspension of this belief, right? We're not looking for something, anything realistic. It has to be big. So it plays well to the legendary yes. part of it. Yes, and it's uh, important to say that also it comes hand in hand with the themes that expressionists talked about, uh, which are uh, angst and, and dread, social unrest, if you will, like this mm. kind of uh, uneasiness. So it's not happy, happy <laughs> and everything. It's, it's, not, it's not those kind of expressions. <laughs> 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 yeah. So yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, maybe maybe let me give them uh, like our audience like a taste. So there is this incredible scene where we see, and this looks like a theater stage. Most of all of the other film or other scenes, like when they're working, and you see them working, and 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 like they're working in unison, but not in unison. You see them from the back. They're mm, moving yeah. one it's way. Unbelievable, right? wow, it's unbelievable, right? It's unbelievable. You know where it, you know where and they use it, like. A, Like, let me just like, finish the scene. So okay. we see them like, okay. moving as they're working like cogs. It's like a, it looks like a machine. The people there are like, moving. Pak, 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 pak. And then there's an explosion, which is in itself amazing. And then the whole factory becomes like a, like a machine that is eating the workers. And it's absolutely unbelievable. Yes. How it changes and then changes back. And you don't know what was real, what wasn't real. For a moment, it looks like there was a huge mouth, right? And the people was, were walking inside, uh, in, into that mouth. Wow, unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. So, I thought you were talking about different ah. uh, scenes. Like right in the beginning of the film, the, just ah. the imagery of showing um, the people that are coming out of the working shift and the people that are going into the working shift ah. underground. And the people that are going in, they're all like in uniform, you know, like walking in this kind of sense, like just step by step, like they're both depressed, but the ones coming out are walking slower and the ones coming are walking faster. And this image for me is just unbelievable, like as, as an image. And it was actually used. And the people coming out are more yes. depressed than the people coming but in. But both of them are depressed. Super, super like, down. Oh, oh, everybody's depressed. depressed. Okay. And then it was used, this imagery was used, you know, in the famous commercial for Apple, uh, for the first Apple. Uh, and then it was used by Pink Floyd in the wall. And then it was just, it's such a strong image of like human depression, you know, that uh, every time you wanted to convey this, you would use this kind of like imagery. Specific depression, depression from work. Yeah, exactly. Right. And, and the disassociation from the worker and their work, because they're basically doing nothing yeah. in terms of like the things that they actually do, they move 
needles and nothing means anything, it's, right? Yeah, it's, it's not totally that they actually stupid. make something. Totally stupid. Like, totally uh, stupid. On purpose, <laughs> on purpose, right? It's just like moving here and there, here and there. Every time you have to move for 10 hours, you have to move some needles, like clock needles. Yeah. A lot of imagery with the clock, yeah. right? The fact that the, the, the architect, the leader, he has a clock on his wrist. That's like a big deal. Yes. The people have clocks on them the whole time it's because the they, entire day the, they're taking their yeah they're robbing them of their time right it's like uh, when he says that he says how much is 10 hours like like the 10 hours never end you know it's the 10 hour shift yeah. never ends so uh, but again i'm going back to fritz lang his mother yeah. was of jewish descent that's very important mm. uh, which and his wife <laughs> so his mother hey, we'll get that to the wife <laughs> okay, okay. His mother was of Jewish descent that actually, uh, uh, how do you say it, uh, went to Christian, like, uh, uh, ah, yeah. okay, whatever. She switched, switched to Christianity <laughs> and he was born Christian. Uh, later in life, he proclaimed as an atheist, uh, but uh, he definitely in Metopolis is very Christian. And of course, you see that you talk about biblical, but yeah. this is Christianity, you know, it's not yeah. from head to toe yeah. but his mother was of Jewish descent and this of course uh, means a lot in 19 uh, in, going to the 1930s in uh, Germany yeah. uh, <laughs> that doesn't matter if you you're you know a right. Christian your mother changed her religion <laughs> no, 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 that no, doesn't no, matter. No. if your grandmother was <laughs> yeah. uh, had a Jewish uh, heritage yeah. then you were sent to die so his first uh, wife was Jewish actually who died in mysterious mm. kind of uh, way, uh, was shot. And actually, oh. people do proclaim that maybe it was by uh, Fritz Lang himself. Okay, okay. Uh, after she died, he married uh, a woman that he worked with, who actually wrote the script for this film, for Metropolis. And they worked for... Thea von Harbaugh. Yes, thank you for the name. Uh, so, so she wrote the script. She wrote the script for this movie and if we jump forward in a time bit Metropoli was was accepted as a, a good film by the Nazis actually there were other films by Fritz Lang which uh, they rejected totally and sought uh, you know banned from uh, viewing and uh, around 1930 I believe uh, the Nazis came to Fritz Lang and actually proposed that he will lead their film efforts propaganda film efforts uh, in Germany and f the way that he tells the story right after they proposed this he, he knew that he needs to go and he went to Paris to France he made another film there and after that he went to the States and had many and made many films in the States in Hollywood that influenced a lot of the film noir movement uh, mm. and uh, stuff like that but uh, his wife the wife. What happened to her? What happened to her? Oh, you wanted... so the wife, yeah, yeah. the wife uh, <laughs> stayed, of course, in Germany, and she worked oh. with the Nazi party and was very she joined the party in 1933. She yes, joined she joined the party, uh, and not only joined, she she was very influential in again in the film industry of the Nazi propaganda. Right. So that kind of ruined the, ruined the movie for a lot of people. The fact that the Nazis liked it. And, and used it, and the fact that its that its writer was a Nazi feels like it has Nazi vibes. Like you can latch onto some things and use it as a Nazi, but it's not a Nazi movie. 
It's definitely not a Nazi propaganda in a way. I, I think that it can also be viewed, and I think that uh, Fritz Lang would say that it's an uh, anti-Nazi film, you know. The, it's a complex film that doesn't really understand, you know, that doesn't really come together, <laughs> even in terms of <laughs> yeah. uh, political, you know, yeah, and uh, everyone can look and see whatever they want to see in it in terms of political agenda. That's the problem with the film, and that's what makes it problematic in terms of ideology and politics for me it's like looking into uh you know going back 100 years and going into people's minds like what were they thinking what how you know you see documentaries and stuff about this time for example you can't understand what the people were thinking about what were in their heads you just see buildings yeah. and and stuff and yeah uh, i don't know yeah but then when you're looking at films or you're reading a book for example that's the same thing in this but you come you, you're just going into their heads what was what was kind of going through their heads what was the thinking and for me looking at this film just going it's like going back to this uh, to this uh, era and just seeing the confusion and the uncertainty and the uh, fear and, and the confusion of, of all these kind of like ideologies that are brewing and these machines yeah. that are coming all this, I, I can see it in the film. And I think that's why it's just, it's a great film. Uh, that's what makes it really, really great. Like some of the things that like I read, it was interesting. I read a part of, uh, of an interview with uh, Fritz Lang in the 70s or 80s. And he said that he didn't like the film anymore. That's true. Yeah. His own film. And one of the reasons that I read was just like, he, he, if, the way I understood it, he said... I was wrong about the machines because look, we got to the moon, so we have astronauts, right? But they're basically part of a machine. Machines are good because this was a time that progress was viewed as something completely good, 50s, 60s, 70s. That progress, technological pro uh, progress, that was a time that it promised again, promo uh, promised to make us work less and less hard. And right now, during these times now, there's, uh, there's a lot of disillusionment with a lot of things, including the, uh, is, technology, is technological progress helping us work less and less hard? Now with AI, we might work <laughs> less. <laughs> not work at all. <laughs> also paid less. Oh, not work at all. <laughs> but it's like not in a good way. Like technology has, has promised but has failed to deliver. And now this movie, we can see it in the way that, that, that he saw it back then and feel that, oh, no, you got a lot of things right and a lot of the criticism leveled against you turned out to be wrong, at least as now is concerned with how mm -hmm. technology, we're using technology and machines to destroy the world and society and everything. Uh, again, I don't think that... Uh this is a, the film Metropolis is um, is a criticism of uh, of machine per se because for example it kind of parades and glorifies the buildings and uh, you know the, the modern city you can't take that away from the film it, it, it does we see it as dystopic but again when he comes the idea is that they need to work together and everything would be fine right that's the idea and the imagery says say something you know and uh, and the theme says something else it's like this kind of clash between them but i don't think that that's the 
main reason why the Fritz Lang denounced the film. He denounced it, he denounced it very, very uh, fast, like uh, already in the 40s and 50s, I heard him saying that he denounces the film. And he, he... You heard him in the 40s and 60s, I say that? No, I heard him say that. Yeah, <laughs> personally, I'm talking, I read about, uh, yeah. His uh, criticism of his own film was that it is naive in terms of how politically the depiction of how the elite and uh, masses can yeah. unite. And that is very simple to see. It is uh, oh, yeah, naive. Yeah. And, uh, and he says that uh, what I read was that the main criticism that he pronounces is that, of course, there's, this is economical. This problem of the classes is economical. You can just fix it with a handshake right it's not uh, yeah. <laughs> which is somebody like... <laughs> has to give up something exactly okay? yes the people who live in the garden of eden right so now we can ease into the biblical themes wow 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 so many biblical stories are portrayed in this uh, in this movie so the first time we see the jesus character the mediator he's in a garden right a perfect perfect garden and just like the the naivete of 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 Fritz Lang also just like screams out of this that the big city produces the garden of eden so many themes there that that don't mesh organically right but it works like in terms of the feeling that he that that he mm. wants to give you that they have they don't have a care in the world all these rich people yeah dancing around in the garden the garden of eden and then you you see there like the women in the garden of eden the portrayal of the women which of course we it's a very big thing in this movie it's a garden of eden but it's not a garden of eden in any way and and then when he's in the garden of eden yeah. yeah he sees this maria character coming from the underground with the children right and then he, oh, he yeah. falls in love with this character that's coming from the people yeah. right this motherly yeah, figure the, yeah. This is like a Maria motherly figure, uh, yeah. per se, and and Fritz Lang is saying, okay, this Garden of Eden with these whores, let's say these these women, which are kind of like you know sexually yeah. uh, whores of Babylon, uh, yeah, exactly, and then he kind of says, okay, yeah. I don't know if it's he saying or uh, his wife saying actually, which is very interesting, <laughs> but that's what is depicted in the film. That's what he shows us, right? That so. There's a lot of criticism. She's very sexualized, this Maria. I have to say, like she's always touching her breasts. The entire <laughs> movie, she touches her own breasts. Like, have, like <laughs> <laughs> so weird. Like, like in t- at times that you don't feel that she needs to. <laughs> Why are you looking at that, Gildad? <laughs> because that's as, that, that was what was on the screen. <laughs> The over theatrical is not uh, something you know just for just in uh, Metropolis. Uh, the this, the over exaggeration of uh, the acting and actually I I must say she from all these actors that in this film I think she like Maria and for example the uh, the main architect that the father are doing a great job. I mean they're they're doing a yeah. great Especially job. Especially her because she does like a few roles in one. Exactly. And you have to think that it's a silent film. This this kind of acting, this exaggeration, is part of the you know of the media. You have to kind of convey these feelings without uh, speaking. Uh, I think she does a great job. I think that uh, the protagonist does is not such no. good. No, no, he's not charismatic at all. Yeah, 
exactly it's not uh, so, so she so just to, to let people know like when she is Maria the real Maria then she is like very demure and she holy and humble yes. still touching her breast of course but still yeah, yeah. touching her breast <laughs> then when she's a robot Maria trying to sow discord then her she looks crazy <laughs> while wow, she moves crazily in her eyes the way she moves her eyes it's uh, wow it's like sorcery it's uh, okay and then they want to burn the witch because of that she's like yes. very witchy This is like typical, you know, the feminist critique of, of cinema. This is like the trope of the woman. The woman can be either a mother figure or a horse. There's no, and she doesn't have like a, a will of herself. She doesn't have a voice of herself. She's not a character, mm. which, uh, and again, this shows this trope. But if you look at the film, you can also say that uh, Moria is a leader figure, right? To the people. So I think that if... Yeah. In Hollywood, for example, this is, is very, it's very different from Hollywood depiction of women. This is very European depiction. It, also, the, how she depicts, she's depicted as motherly. She, like, it's not just a mother. She's a motherly of the people. She's a mother of the people. This is kind of like, like in Russia, you know, the, the motherland, the mother is, is woman. The woman is a mother. Uh -huh. And also in communism, for example, the woman has the same role as a man in terms of you. Right. Right. It's very egalitarian. It, They're exactly. like purposefully, purposefully saying that the workers, men and women are equal in the work. For the work. Exactly. Right. So, she, like, she doesn't have a will of her own, but if you look at it in another perspective, then the mediator, the protagonist is not really like his role is basically him telling her telling him, Hey, now you need to yeah, she get them to shut him. But, But he wouldn't even know what to do and he wouldn't even be anything if she wouldn't have put him up to it. And, and also, she, like, she's like the moral compass of the whole thing. And more, even more than that, before he comes into play, she, she's the leader of the people. She, she, you know, mm -hmm. she, she's standing there and she's preaching to the people and she's, she's motivating the people. Whatever she says, even before she's the robot, whatever she yeah. says, the people are listening to her and like abiding to her will. So I, it is, uh, it's very different from what you would see in Hollywood in those times, definitely, and even much, much later. Right. And also the way that she's evil is like, you know, uh, by not being forthright and cunning, mm -hmm. that, like she's not, it's not like a man coming in and killing you. Right? Yeah. It's, and this, yeah. Uh, this is very film noir. like the the cunning woman that kind of takes the man and pulls him down like uh, with her uh -huh. sexuality and with her uh -huh. okay. the power of her you know womanly <laughs> will the the scene from the the whorehouse which is let's say it's a whorehouse the you know where the all the women are like where she's dancing this dance and the it's such strong scene but again if we're talking about feminist kind of perspective yeah so this is a, an exemplary of using the male gaze right uh, how we as the audience are looking at this object being displayed yeah this on the film and and you know so we can go over a few of the of the biblical stories incorporated and yeah. i think that a lot of them play out specifically to this dichotomy that you mentioned between women being either holy Or promiscuous. Or or promiscuous, and they are like always like an object of desire, not just like an object, but an object of desire, right? Yeah. And that, so that is a recurring theme in the stories, many of the stories of Genesis, mm. and 
so in the story of the Garden of Eden, right, we have uh, like Eve there uh, being responsible for the downfall of man by giving the fruit against uh, the rules. Mm. Uh, there's also the flood that's also in uh, in Genesis and in one it's like two flood stories together in one of them the reason for the mayhem is because the men of old went uh, whoring around with uh, with too many women so that's why mm-hmm. God brought a flood so there is a flood also in the in the movie there is a flood Yes. Uh, there's also the Tower of Babel. You mentioned that with everybody speaking the like uh, not able to communicate. Yeah. There's also images uh, that evoke like the slavery in Egypt, right? The way that they're pulling stuff, walking up, down. I don't know. For me, mm-hmm. it was like the slavery in Egypt in the Bible and the Exodus also when they are leaving uh, the city, for example. Mm-hmm. And again, you have the architect who is like a god, and his son, he has been prophesied to bring a new order, a new deal, yeah. a new testament. <laughs> I think uh, you're thinking biblical, Jesus. but I think, yeah, I think it's all uh, Christianity. I mean, it's like the biblical through the Christianity eyes, yeah. right? Uh, of course, it's not uh, Jewish yeah. in any way, let's say. It's not a... Uh, no. No. <laughs> no. So... I think also we talked about how all these kind of fascists and communists and you see also how religion is very, very prominent in the, mm. in, the in those times. I think, you know, looking back at this film and we see how the religion is integrated in all these ideas. Right. Without saying we are Christian. It's yeah. just for them when they think about uh, spirituality and things that hold the community together. Exactly. The religion is part of Christianity. The- religion and Christianity specifically because they live in a Christian world. Yes. Yes. Fritz Sank himself told that, uh, that religion has, even when he declared the sense of atheist, he says that religion has a very big uh, role in society in terms of morals. And you see it in the film. And I think to this point, if we go back, all the way back to it being naive and being like a legend, and now we're talking about all these bigger-than-life uh, biblical stories with uh, eternal morals that whatever Christianity has taken out of them, and this fairy tale like I think it all fits together thematically, even if some of the parts, you know, clash and cling and clang, like the general uh, atmosphere and, uh, and feeling of naivety, I think works well with the biblical elements and uh, the fact that it's uh, expressionist and bigger than life, and it, it just feels that it works. The ending and some political, you know, it's not politically astute, <laughs> right? Yes. Uh, uh, the fact that it's naive in terms of the relationship between people and all that, I, I, I read some of that criticism also, and I feel now that's no. just, it's a legend. It's meant to be naive in some way because it's a legend. That's part of the genre. It's a legend, and also it's uh, in a way, in its own way, it's so naive. We talked about how like using technology by the by the elite to control uh, the people through manipulation. That is not naive at all. That is like uh, that is straight to the point. It's just that. You know the the ending, the thematical resolution, yeah. and the kind of idea of how to solve these ideas. And you say that it's naive and everything, but 
these are problems which is very hard to solve in a film right and this is not i mean if you look at other films that try to do that and of course you'll be disappointed in the end if you're trying to resolve this thing in a kind yeah, of because they're filmmakers they're not you know yeah. political thinkers they the main talent is filmmaking yeah so final words final words for you about uh, metropolis its place in human culture of the last 100 years like overview uh, first of all i think it's a great movie to see now and also i must say just again just watching it i kind of like um wanted to see other movies from that era for example Nesada, the great dictator wow. by uh, so chaplin and and it's just like i think i think everyone should now go and look at like a couple of films from the 1920s 1930s it, it gives you perspective it gives you kind of like understanding uh, it's kind of depressing of course but everything is first for us especially today. Israelis it just mm-hmm. yes it opens your eyes in a way we, we think of course of technology is different people are different but the same human kind of fears aspirations uh, and horribleness existed 100 years ago and we kind of like we can look at it and kind of just see it. it it helps us to understand and keep context and perspective yeah. Yeah. watching Metropolis is just you know was just like a fun evening I was eating yeah watching and also we should say that uh, not so long ago it became public domain so you can see it in, in, in YouTube on YouTube right I will, uh, I'll put a link in the episode, uh, episode yeah notes. you don't need to kind of like yeah it's open domain uh, okay boom Boom. So we're going to wrap it, uh, wrap it up, and then uh, hopefully we'll do another one about uh, actual AIs in recent years. Uh, it's great seeing you. Uh, Same here. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you. So coming up next, I think next Monday, maybe the one after that, but I'll try next Monday, is a conversation with Rutger about the new Napoleon movie by Ridley Scott with Joaquin Felix. We both watched it. And then another conversation with Asi about how the depictions of AI on film in recent years, how they look to us now once the developments in AI are here. So see you soon, either next week, next Monday, or the one after that. Thank you for listening. Thank you, patrons, for supporting the podcast on patreon.com slash adof. I'm Gil Kidron, and I'll see you next time. Bye, everybody.